Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. Thank you to all the school staff listening. The work you do has never been more important to the communities you serve. And today, particularly, we're highlighting the role of the school business manager, leader, um, who weave magic at the best of times. Uh, but in the past few months have actually had to do the almost impossible. Uh, So thank you to you. And uh, yeah, we're going to focus on school business uh, leadership today with uh, not one, not two, but three special guests. And we are working in partnership again with the Institute of School Business Leadership. Um, More of that in a moment. But as ever, before we begin, just to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around issues. Uh, The views my guests and I are about to express are not the views of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. And we are talking on the 16th of, of June. Uh, lots of things uncertain about the future and, and ways ahead. So, you know, we don't have any crystal balls, sadly. Uh, so, you know, we, we're going to be discussing people's best guesses of, of what might happen in the future. Uh, I am delighted to be joined by two friends of the podcast, uh, Stephen Morales, CEO at ISBL, and my colleague, lead content editor, Kaylee Foran. And... Uh, a new, um, a new guest on the podcast today, Russell Dalton, uh, who is Chief Operating Officer of the Diocese of Worcester Multi-Academy Trust. Russell is also a fellow of ISBL and prior to becoming um, a school business professional, uh, he had a successful career in the army. So welcome to all of you. Hi. <laughs> uh, so um, as I mentioned, we have had some secondary school school children uh, in year 10 and uh, 12 go back for a bit of time and some primary schools opening their their doors to to more pupils what is uh, your sense of of what that that is looking like in in both your kind of local areas or what you're aware of from your networks um, more more globally so Stephen what's your sense of how how reopening is going so so I think um, when I talk to school leaders, um, the return uh, for those year groups has worked incredibly well. Um, and that uh, is in no short way um, a result of the massive effort that went in in the leading. Um, and school business leaders have been working tirelessly to make sure that plans are in place, making sure that the flow of pupils is, is, is working well and... Um, They've paid very close attention to both the guidance and broader health and safety measures. Um, so I think that's testimony to, to school leaders, um, you know, the, the fact that things have worked as well as they, as they have. And, and maybe there's a lesson here. You know, if you leave these uh, logistical decisions to school leaders, um, more than often they come, mm. up with, uh, come up trumps with the, with, with the answers. Uh, and whilst the guidance is welcome and important, um, actually giving school leaders enough autonomy to, to make contextual decisions is really important. So I would say that, that it's been a successful return in, in the main. Uh, and where there have been isolated instances of, uh, of infection or 
symptoms, the the bubble uh, the bubble mechanism has worked really well. So that group's been removed from the from 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 the school. The school can operate as normal. So, um, uh, notwithstanding, you know, some uh, obvious and uh, anticipated bumps in the road, it's been a, a successful um, week or so. So, you know, and that's credit to school leaders in the main. Of course, and and Russell, what are you? What are your thoughts? I mean, how's how's it been for you? And and what's your sense of what you're seeing across your wider network? I think I think in, in Worcestershire we've been very lucky. To be fair, it, you know, we we've, we've been able to get the majority of our primary schools back very very quickly. But if I just talk more locally of just my my mm. trust, um, I think that as, as Stephen said there, the preparation was key. So we wanted to have the doors open for as many of our our initial year groups on the first of ja- uh, June um, as as we were directed to do. Um, so probably the planning process was a minimum of two weeks prior to that. So we had the half term and the week leading up to half term to make sure that we've got everything in place. And, and I have to really say in, in this instance, and, and this is going to be, sound really strange coming from uh, somebody from a Marlowe Academy Trust, but the local authority played a massive part in aiding all schools, I think, within our local authority. Right. They really they really came to the fore. Um, so we were able to use um, generic um, risk assessments and we used templates that were both both provided by unions, by um, by the local authority, and we looked at how we can make the, the provision the safest by combining some of the risk assessments. Mm-hmm. We also wanted to reassure the unions of what, what we were doing. So we used their, their checklist, um, albeit that it was extremely lengthy and thorough, um to to be able to put a, a statement out to them so rather than complete all their paperwork to send back to them individually we we created a statement and in that statement highlighted that um we've gone through every single point of their checklist to make sure that we were addressing them within our schools um well what we did find though was anxiety where we thought there was going to be a lot of anxiety both with staff and with with parents and the anxiety was more with those schools that probably hadn't opened for key workers leading Mm. up to the first of june um and at the schools that had already opened actually that they they flourished and they really have, have, have moved forward um the big surprise in all this Although nationally everyone was saying reception children won't um, understand how to um, how to social distance and everything else, actually the children have been fantastic with it. They're, they're, yes, they need reminding, but they have been fantastic with it. Um, and and uh, you know I, I think we shouldn't underestimate how much of a part the children have played in all this. Um, the one thing that, that we have found, though, is because it has been so successful and we've been had such great communication with our stakeholders, um, is that um, we're now at the stage that the negative points we're getting is off the parents who haven't got their children at school but desperately want their children to come to school and we just can't, we physically cannot open up to them. 
So, you know, I think it has been a very positive experience. But again, just to sort of echo what Stephen has said, it is, it's down to the old saying, prior planning and preparation. And, and without doubt, there was a lot of work put into ensuring that the schools could be as safe as they could. Yeah, and as you say, having having that time time to plan and obviously some schools extending and, and opening after the 1st of June, giving, you know, making sure that they can do it in a way that works for them and is safe. And Kaylee, any what have what have people been um, asking for from the key and, and, and what's your sense of how it's been? I think um, I, I think I would I echo the points that Stephen and Russell have made that it's been the the, the quality of, of really complex planning that we've been seeing has been has been really quite quite incredible and it's it's also been um really nice watching schools collaborate and and share a lot of what they're doing um to help their colleagues be really to, you know to navigate this mm -hmm. and to be really successful in it and so i think that's been um that's been really interesting to watch the the bits the thing that i think was actually um in, interesting and perhaps not not surprising is that while there was a lot of conversation around the logistical bits of this how you set up one-way systems how you socially distance a classroom how you organ you know how you make it so that you can maximize your outdoor space or whatever that might be all of those logistical challenges um the primary concern that we were seeing was actually not really about that stuff um it was actually about it, the, the people side of things, making sure that your staff are well and that their well-being and their mental health is looked after, making sure that pupils can settle in, you know, effectively and, and reintegrate into school life in a way that's that's healthy for them. And much more emphasis from what we saw was on that side of things. You know, yes, loads of questions about risk assessments and how to do a risk assessment well, um, and you know, and questions about about some of the logistical things but, but much more emphasis on on the people side which is which is what you want to see yeah. actually and i think speaks to how to how competent um school business leaders and and head teachers across the country are in managing these really incredible incredibly difficult situations and and as you say there such a such a complex situation and because of the the, the nature of the the virus People, you know, people are having to think tiny, tiny risks and things, and then obviously um, these bigger social, emotional, mental health. You know, it, it is it is such a complex um, uh, situation uh, to 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 plan for and then walk through. But as a, a, I think, a sense from from all of you there that 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 actually that that planning has happened and it and it does seem to be working well for that limited number of, of of children that are in schools right now but in the absence of a sort of formal plan and and some a lot of confusing policy this way and and that way let's let's think about how more children might end up going back into school um so if we think about a relaxation of social distancing it's being talked about in relation to the economy quite a lot if 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 we had um a reduction from two meters to to, to one meter uh, one meter um what might that look like uh in you know in 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 various different settings um russell what are your thoughts 
I think, well, I think there's two two things here. But firstly, you know, I think I think we'd all welcome the reduction in in the social distancing within schools to allow, potentially allow more children in. But we've got we've got other constraints. So we, it might be that actually, you know, the, the rooms still just aren't physically big mm. enough really to to allow any more in. You know, it might be with the with the with the desks as they laid out, it wouldn't matter if it's if it's two meters or, or one meter. Um, the other one is staffing. So everyone everyone's talking about the physical size of the buildings. Mm. Um, We've got some some schools that are struggling because still they've got quite a, a large number of staff that are shielding. So you know it, it's 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 actually bringing um, how we can how we can manage that and also not wanting to set yourself up for a fail. So what happens if you you do have staff then that you lose and you just brought back in um, a, 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 another year group? So suddenly those those parents are back at work. You have to then send the children back to home, and it's just disrupting the home life again. So I think there's a lot to to, to think about it. I, I was reading a very interesting article in in Tes this week. Mm. I, I think it was a, about a school in or schools in Holland that actually for children have, have said that there is no distance. The distance actually is for for the uh, adults in the school. And reading that and how that worked, even they were finding some challenges uh, around that. So I think I think that that there are lots of things to consider. Yes, we could increase the size of, of our our groups that we have within there. We could increase the bubbles if the social distancing uh, was reduced. But what we've got to be careful is complacency doesn't slip in, mm-hmm. and uh, and. You know, I think the bubbles are working at the moment because they are they are the new unique or new unique thing within schools. Um, we have to keep reminding, and I think that will become more commonplace. The reminders, if the size of the numbers within our bubbles increase because the social distancing me- measures reduce. But but just going back to something that Kaylee said. You know, yes, it's it is about the two key key people within our schools, the staff and the pupils, and there is no blueprint for this. You know, every school is unique in in the size of its premises and the demographics it has around them, and and there is no simple answer that one fit what what one size fits all. So it has to be looked at, at in each individual setting. So whilst I could say. You know, we, we would welcome one and a half metres because suddenly we could uh, put half as many children in again in our bubbles. It might not work in another setting. So I, I, I do want to put that health warning on what I'm talking about here. Yeah, I think it is really difficult because, you know, obviously there's a lot of... Um debate and sort of public opinion around you know send more children back the children aren't at risk and then you've got this missing bit that says yes potentially the teachers are and it wasn't as if we had spare teachers before just sitting around doing nothing so you know how how you actually make the staffing work when as you say in in particular schools there'll be a high number of, of, of people's shielding um, it is it is really tricky and people almost, you know, in a really unhelpful way that public debate happens in the newspapers sort of forget that you can only have children in school if you've got 
if you've got staff. Just one other thing, and this was something we, we noticed from the initial announcement, is that parents hear bits of the announcement that they want to hear. So they hear that all reception, all year ones and all year six in primary and then year 10 and year, year 12 mm. in secondary will go back. They hear that announcement. What they don't hear is where it is feasibly possible. And, and just the, the other big dilemma then that you have as a school is who do you prioritise within those groups if you can't take them all back? And how do you do that prioritisation? And I think that is now the difficulties that schools are having is, is that, that if they want to take more pupils back, they might not be able to take a whole year group back. So how do they decide from the year group that they might open up to? So let's say we, we want to open up to year five, but we can only open up to half. How do we select that half? And that is going to be the next dilemma because... It's the old say, it's like a snow day. If you go to the school, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So whatever we decide, there is going to be somebody out there that is not going to be happy with the decision we make. Yeah. Um, and so I guess the other the other aspects of, of that um, potential reopening, as we've just said, you know, you could you could reduce the distance, you'd still have an issue around staff. There's also been a suggestion, use alternative sites presumably you know still an issue around staff any any other thoughts about about using a different site feasibility of that would we think russell i well i i think the practicalities of it would almost make it impossible you know you, you've got to think about safeguarding you've got to you know how do you control that other environment for its cleanliness how do you ensure that potentially you're the only people using it what about the administration of it? What about, you know, there's so mm. many things that you have to throw into the mix. I do feel that it's a bit, bit of a smokescreen talking about the potential use of other environments. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I don't know how personally, I don't know how it w would work. Yes, it might work in some environments where there, there might be something very close by, but, you know, most of my schools, most of my schools are in very small village settings, where there isn't even a village hall. So, you know, practically, there might be no way that that, that could could be carried out. What are your What are your thoughts on that, Stephen? I think at the moment all we have is just almost these scattergun kind of ideas, but we don't have a coherent plan, and that's what's really missing. And we need we need we need that. And and what I do think is an absolute red herring is is you know, introducing more children over the next four weeks. So, I mean, I, you know, okay, where it's possible, where it's safe, where context permits that. Uh, of course, the, the, the quicker we can get children back into schools, the better, uh, as long as we do that in, in a safe way. But the real, the real challenge is going to be how we prepare for September. And what I really worry about is uh, that window of planning is closing in on us. Um, and we're only, you know, just over four weeks away from uh, the summer recess uh, and even if you know you know we, we, we had a robust plan in the next couple of weeks that isn't enough time to implement that plan in which case we're going to have an already exhausted workforce working all the way through the uh, the, the summer recess and, and, and unfortunately I can't see any other way of being ready to go in September without many of our 
school leaders working uh, you know, a significant part of the summer holidays. Um, and you know, when we're talking about uh, people's mental uh, health uh, and their welfare, you know, these, these are all things that, that we need to be very mindful of and very careful with. Um, so, yeah, I think there's lots of there's lots of interesting ideas. There's lots of people who've, who've, who've stepped up and, and have made suggestions. I know Michael Wilshaw has been interviewed on a couple of occasions about the way he thinks uh, we should we should tackle it. Um, you know, the chair of the Education Select Committee um, has some pretty strong ideas, again, about how we should be doing things. Um, but in terms of a coherent plan that, you know, school leaders can get behind and, 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 and really start to, to make inroads, uh, that's the bit for me that's, that's missing at the moment. Um, and and I, I know that um, our Prime Minister said that uh, he would, you know, be moving heaven and, heaven and earth to get that plan in, in, in in, in place, um, but so far I haven't seen any of the detail. So, uh, so we, we, we wait for, for more for more guidance. Um, but yes, uh, I think what would be not good for anybody is if we're still in the dark uh, by the end of this four week period. Uh, we don't have a very coherent plan for September, um, and then we are getting our way through this, and that would not be good. Yeah. And it's it's the time wasted on the kind of speculative act activity that means you can't then put energy into a plan that actually might might happen, I guess. And, and yeah. that's that is very, very frustrating. Um, obviously, talking about about ways to get more children into school and a lot of schools are are adopting some form of rotor system now. Um, and it looks increasingly likely that that might be a way forward for the future as well and a kind of blend of, of home learning and, um, and in-school provision. Um, what are your thoughts about, about, about that, uh, Kayleigh? What are you? Um, I think it's, the government was quite clear when it first published its guidance on school reopening that it didn't want rotas. And I think the resounding response from the sector was, well, there's no other way forward, yeah. really. Um, I think... It's seeming increasingly likely from um, from what we're hearing from the likes of NAHT and, and ASCL and, and um, kind of school leaders who are doing a lot of um, really excellent thinking about this at the moment is that it, it just it seems unlikely that come September you're going to be able to get all of your pupils back in. Um, it, it's just we're not going to be as a society. Mm. We're not going to be in that place. We're not going to be ready for that. And if what the government wants and and i think it's what schools want too you don't you know you don't want year three pupils for example to have missed you know six months of their education before they can get back into school i think every school wants to see as many of their pupils back in in a in a physical kind of way that face-to-face -face makes an enormous difference um i mean if you could have seen my daughter literally skip off to school on monday like she she ran so fast it was so excited um and I think it's, you know, that face-to-face -face means a lot, both to kids and to teachers. It's so much easier for school leaders to do their to do their jobs when that child is right in front of them. And so there will have to be, I think, some sort of rota system that happens, which allows schools to bring, you know, rotating cohorts of pupils in so that everyone gets face-to-face -face time with their with their teacher or with a member of staff who they can who they can build that relationship with and, and, and trust. Um and you know, complementing that with, with probably some continued form of 
of online or remote learning um, is is going to be the the most likely thing, I think. And Agreed. yeah, and and uh, Russell, what do you what are your thoughts about about rotors? And you know, what what advice could could you suggest about how how they might operate kind of effectively? I'm not going to talk about my frustration with the changing in policy to start with because <laughs> I, I made I made the the mistake of, of suggesting to our schools that maybe rotors were the way ahead when when obviously I was going against the uh, the initial guidance that, that was out there but I thought that actually that was sensible mm. and and it, you could have used a morning session cleaned over a lunchtime and had an afternoon session and actually you could have got a lot more children back in the school environment i, I worry about the mental health of, of children it's not you know and i think we've got a lot of children at the moment who, who aren't having hu human child-to-child -child interaction they might be having virtual but not not human i'm really worried about about that so i think what, whatever way we can get them back to school in so, in one way or other, and I, I agree, it's not going to be full-time education from September, or, or if it is, I will eat my hat. Um, but I, I think that, you know, I would reiterate what, what Stephen has said. Our leaders are, are exhausted, and the sooner that we can get some guidance of what is going to be required for September, the better. We have got to let our school staff, and, and I know there's, there's, you know, every every sector could argue this, but we've got to let our school staff have have some downtime now. They have been working non-stop now since February half term, and and you know it's taking the toll on on them as well. So, um, I, personally, I feel that rotors is probably the way that it would work. I think also one thing that I get frustrated frustrated about with the guidance is well, there's a few things I get frustrated about the guidance. One one is they don't understand. It's not the the different settings are not taking into account. Primary example there is I've got schools within our trust that are in a three tier system, so their transition groups are not year six. You know, we've got two transition groups. We've got a year four transition group and we've got a year six transition group. Uh, uh, sorry, a year seven transition group. And they're, they're not able to do their transitions, or they weren't able to do them. They are now having to consider how, how we do that. So if the guidance could take into account all settings, that would be so much better. If the guidance isn't going to be statutory, then let the wording not be statutory yeah. in it. And, and that will allow us in our local settings to make a more informed decision of what's going to be the safest. And that's the example there is the rotor system. If that could have been just not put in there to start with and schools could have made that decision, I think we could have more pupils back now than we currently do. Yeah, yeah. As you say, it, it really makes a difference how, how that guidance is is worded just on the uh, rotor situation i think there are three things that have been held in tension there are three things that have been held, held in tension throughout this pandemic uh, that's uh, health education and the economy and uh, i suspect um, I, I don't have uh, definitive evidence to, to to back this statement up but i suspect that the reason they were reluctant to introduce the rotor system was because it would be more difficult to get 
um, uh, the economy started again and certain workers back in because it would be disrupting to their their work patterns. So on that that sends to me a signal that on on that issue the economy was trumping education. Um, and I think the recognition is quickly shifting to one where if we want to get children back in school, and that's really, really important, that there are going to have to be some compromises. Mm. And the rota system uh, can certainly accommodate more children and give children that face-to-face contact that, that Russell was talking about. Um, and if that means that uh, people's working arrangements are disrupted, then I think as society we probably need to accommodate that. Mm. Um, so... I just thought I'd add those, those few comments in. Yeah, and it is, it's, it's, it's weighing it up, isn't it? Is it better that somebody can do, can do some work in their place of work because their child is at school or they can't go into work at all because their child is at home? Well, quite. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. It, it is a, it's a very difficult um, situation. But as you say, I mean, even some suggestions from the ministers themselves that, that actually, um, you know, the reason they chose those year groups was to to, to try and get some parents um, back in as opposed to some others. Um, I think, yeah, Kayla. I think if I can just, I, one of the things that's been really nice to see is that schools have worked so well with their local communities to arrange provision and make sure that, that as much as possible, everyone's accommodated, um, that schools are in a position to make Rhoda's work in a way that kind of accommodates parents' working needs. So yeah. you know, we've seen schools work with their communities to do things like this already. So maybe for your, you know, for one school's parent body, a half day, you know, a half day, then a break, and then a half day for another group works. For some schools, it might be week on, week off. But leaning on those relationships with your local community will will help schools balance that, balance those things mm-hmm. and, and support that effort. Yes, Russell. Yeah. And I think I think the other thing that that uh, if, if if it was to get the economy and people going back to work, one thing that wasn't taken into account was siblings. Um, you know, and and even now, what what we're finding is is if if there is a, a sibling that could go back to school, parents are deciding that actually they would sooner the sibling be at home as as, as human child company for for the child who cannot go back to school so you know i think again just something that kaylee said there it's working with the local community to make sure we can provide as best provision for as many children as is feasibly and safely possible you know schools are not going to be the people who are going to want to put anybody in danger you know least of all their 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 staff or their children within their charge so you know we aren't going to take it lightly when we make these decisions but we will look at how could how can we encourage siblings to come back and what is that going to look like we're not going to be able to do the best for everybody though mm. that's that's again yeah. we come back to the to that to that thing that if we do go to a rota basis you can guarantee if there are siblings you're going to have some that are split in different rotors so you know you're not going to be able to to please everybody in in, in that instance but, Caroline, just yeah. just just on on, on and hopefully what i'm going to say will segue into in, into the recovery uh discussion anyway but i think 
and, and I, I, I think I can say this with, with some confidence as a, as a sector leader, um, and, and it's maybe a little bit controversial, but the, the danger is that when we consult, when sector leaders consult with uh, our political masters, um, we, we, have a, we try to offer a, a perspective which reflects our communities. But we're not close enough to our communities really to give that uh, that that you know frontline perspective. And I think one of the things that perhaps government could learn from and officials as well is um, the, the there needs to be greater dialogue with those closest to the communities because, as Russell's quite already said and and, and, and Kaylee as well, is that communities are um, and have really stepped up during this, this, this crisis and have come together and found solutions um, in a way that you can't do from the centre. Mm -hmm. So you know, maybe part of this next phase, this recovery phase, is about making sure that there is a proper dialogue with those closer to the coalface mm -hmm. and working through solutions which can be stress-tested by those that are going to be most impacted by it. Um, so it'd be... I know the temptation is when there's a crisis that, you know, uh, a command and control, very kind of tight inner circle um, and, you know, you don't want decisions uh, by committee because you, you lose agility. But at the same time, it becomes a bit of an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. It's almost the opposite of the Matthew side concept, you know, cognitive diversity idea that, you know, if you speak to the same people, you're going to get the same answers. Um, and if you speak to, if you speak to sec sector leaders who will have pretty similar views on the way forward, um, you're not getting that, that, yeah. that frontline perspective. So, so perhaps that's something that we should be thinking about during this recovery phase. And, and I, I know that one of the positive steps that, um, that the ministerial team in the DfE have, uh, have set up is a, is a much broader consultation group now. So there was a series of COVID stakeholder conversations going on weekly. There's now another group that are convening um, and I believe uh, Nick Gibb is involved in, in those uh, conversations on a regular basis, which is a much broader, a much broader uh, uh, sector, uh, sector-based community conversation, which I, which I welcome, which yeah. I think is important. And, and that definitely chimes with the um, conversation we had on the podcast uh, last week with Kate, Kate Chatwell from Challenge Partners, just saying, you know, the DfE will, will listen to two perspectives um, from from schools they, they they don't understand how these things work in practice and it, and it is worth um, feeding back and you know we're having this conversation just as the government have you turned on free school meals for the summer and who could have predicted that it would have been a football player who would have made that happen you know it's you know so all, all bets are off <laughs> Um, but, but, but actually, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it, that, mm. that, that, that a working-class football player from a Bain background has uh, stepped up and, and, and changed uh, political uh, yeah. political policy direction. I mean, I mean, you know, fantastic. Uh, I mean, that's a that's a great thing, surely. Exactly, exactly. So, um, and and just great, great news um, that 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 provision will be there now as well. And as we yeah. come to look. Um, forward to the, the the eventual release we expect sometime this week of a national education recovery plan. Um, what what do you what do we think will be on it, and what should be on it? Whoever wants to tackle that first. <laughs> I well, I can kind of. The government has so far kind of promised two things. They've promised guidance on 
sort of prioritizing groups of pupils as as schools open more widely or, or consider opening more widely. And they promised guidance on what they're calling kind of a curriculum spine, mm. a sort of basic, um, kind of a, a basic structure that, you know, for the curriculum going forward. But we have no idea in what context they mean that. Do they mean a context for recovery in the sense that we're seeing a lot of chatter in the sector about a about a recovery curriculum that focuses a lot on PSHE and rebuilding relationships and and also kind of making up for that lost learning time in terms of in terms of foundational maths and maths mm-hmm. and literacy skills. Um, do, is that what they mean, or do they mean do they mean something a little bit a little bit different? It's it's not clear. But those are the two things that they've they've promised so far, um, and I. I'm sure that we can probably expect some level of guidance on on remote learning, some kind of basic set of expectations for if if you do have pupils who are going to continue with remote learning for some stretch of time, a, a sort of benchmark for what, what schools should be delivering and, and what parents and pupils can expect. Um, I, I would expect to see something like that as well. Right. Yeah, Stephen. So, so uh, yeah, I, I think I can say what I think it shouldn't be, uh, rather than what it what it should. Go start what somewhere. It be. <laughs> so, um, it, it, it shouldn't be as I've just mentioned a, a top-down process. It shouldn't be get a, a guess from the centre. Um, I, I think, um, and, and this is naive of me to think that this is possible, but nevertheless, I'll, I'll give it a go. That we should be any self-interest should be part. So that include government and the unions. Uh, we need to put that to one side. Uh, this is about this is about children's livelihoods, after all. Um, and, and I think the um, the suggestions, if they are based on pieces of research that think tanks like uh, um, the Education Endowment Foundation, Sutton Trust, or you know whoever it is that that's that, that's having a, a close look at the at the uh, deficit that we've that we've created as a result of COVID. Um, I think those, those those suggestions need to be stress tested with the sector. Uh, and that's the important thing. And uh, not stress test tested on a Friday for implementation on a Monday. You need to be stress tested two weeks before or however long it, it takes to properly go through these things. And then, uh, you know, the sector will be able to say that's workable, that's impossible. Um, but I, you know, have to caveat everything with speak to the sector, not to the union leaders, not to people with vested interest. Speak to grassroots practitioners and say, does that work? Can you make it happen? Speak to head teachers, to school business leaders, to to executive teams, to faculty heads, mm-hmm. to, to classroom practitioners, and 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 let's let's see what what comes back. And that has to be a a, a very fluid and and and, and two way um, dialogue. And it can't be dumped on a on the sector as a failure complete with five minutes to uh, kind of provide some feedback. And this is um, so that's what yeah. I would like to see in a recovery plan, one that that, that really brings in um, those that understand the you know the, the art of possible. And this is part of the issue with this weird process by which they kind of trail something's coming, and then everybody's waiting for it and waiting to see what the plan is. And as you say, yeah. it would be good to consult with people before they release it and recognise that it will need to be flexible um, and, and, and evolve. Russell, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I, th- I think we're gonna we're gonna be mindful that time is of the essence. You know, we 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 desperately want uh, to to start recovery, and we but we also have said we want we want the decisions to be made as soon as possible, so we can actually get the recovery process planned before we start eating into the summer summer break, whatever that's going to look like. I'm, I'm never one to stray too far away from controversy. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting to near to the end of my career now, but I, I would say if I was wanting to re-plan and, and do something new, the, the, there is now is the best time to actually put that into place. Um, an example that I'd like to use here, in industry now, they probably are thinking, how many people could we get that, that we don't have to need to bring into the office anymore moving forward? What has this, this pandemic allowed us to look at a new way of, of, of working? What I would like to think for education is the new norm isn't the old norm, that actually we could take some some uh some new way of, of of moving forward in the education sector a more flexible approach to maybe the way we can deliver things now i saying that i know isn't going to be popular with some of my colleagues but but you know stephen's already said if we do things in the same way we're going to get the same results boy is this a chance to actually start start having some blue sky thinking and and start thinking is there a new way that actually we could deliver education has this allowed us the opportunity the reflection time to start building that in place but again it needs to be set to lead you know it doesn't need to be here's your blueprint for what you will do in future by somebody sat in 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 um in a nice shiny office and actually isn't on the the cold face trying to see how can we make that that work i do think that that the more that we can consult but we need to consult quickly we need to consult thoroughly and we need to consult with the right people and and as you say we've we've all sort of stopped and started doing things in our professional lives and our home lives without kind of thinking over this period and actually to go back and say hey what haven't we done for 3 months and actually did we need to be doing that in the first place um is it's a good could be a good catalyst for change and and thinking about kind of to-do lists um we we don't know quite what summer summer holidays if summer holidays will exist if key worker provision will continue what what that might what that might hold we know uh, that staff need a rest and a, and a break um but if you're talking to school school business professionals what would you kind of say would there be key priorities for for september in terms of things that they they could think about right now that that, that aren't going to be subject to huge change any thoughts well i think there's i mean there there are and, and, and russell's probably in a, in a better position to answer this question than i am but um it, what would I be encouraging the community to do is to um, uh, to make sure that they have in place all of the issues that uh, they would normally normally be thinking about. So, um, uh, you know, have have they made uh, appropriate uh, provision, financial provisions for any any un- unexpected costs over the next uh, few months? 
uh, have they reprofiled their their, their budgets um, in light of COVID nineteen? Um, what's what's the look ahead look like? And then obviously there's all of the preparation that that normally goes on before a new academic year uh, around premises, any capital builds that are um, half finished or hopefully close to being finished. Um, additional accommodation if it's required. There's a whole checklist of things that that you know, that school business leaders would be going through anyway. It's just it with a new kind of backdrop of, of, of COVID nineteen and that and that will apply whether there are, you know, three year groups with fifth, with a cap of fifteen or whether it's the whole school back again. So I, I, I would encourage them to not take their eye off the ball in terms of those important pieces of work. Um, any due diligence work that needs to take place before the start of the new academic year, any uh, review of contracts, and any important procurement decisions, all of that work still needs to, to, to take place. Um, but, but the uncertainty and, and the bit that we need to work through with our pedagogical leaders is um, what will, how can we opt- optimise learning outcomes and learning opportunities for children with the... Uh, with the constraints of you know uh, a global pandemic, and and you know there, there, there is it's that isn't it? And yeah. we, we don't know. We, we we don't we don't even know. We don't even know what the statistics are going to be like in the middle of August. We hope there isn't a, a second peak. Uh, we hope things remain on a downward trajectory. And if all things are even, we we should be able to do more than we're doing at the moment. Um, but there's so much uncertainty. But alongside all of that. Um, it's the, the dialogue between. I, mean, I always talk about the the, the the leadership triangle, pedagogy, business, and governance working seamlessly together, not in silos. And I think they never could that be more true. And I think that that's at a macro and a micro level. Um, so those those actors from those various groups really involved in in the conversation and working through all of the implications, and then feeding that back up to the policymakers, so that if we've got a, a, a fighting chance. Russell, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, th- I think I think until we know specifics about what what is going to be, what September is going to look like, I think I think time should be spent now on on um, on probably looking at, sep- at different plans. So you can almost pull that box file off the shelf and say, right, okay, it looks like we're going to have to work with Plan B, and and here's here's the blueprint for what what we plan a Plan B. But I think what we what we've got what we what you very what you're going to be very careful not to do is only focus inwardly, and there is going to be lots of external factors that we have to take into consideration, and there's going to be some that we we can influence. But we can't direct, and uh, examples of those might be home to school transport, for example. Yeah. How can we influence what is going to help us? Because if we have a rotor system, it might fall down if we haven't tried to influence home to school transport or something along those lines. So I think probably time spent on what we are going to need to influence outside of our control now as well as doing plan a b c however many plans you might want to do compared to what the different social distancing factors are going to be but don't just focus inwardly you know the more we can actually get every party involved that that takes has some part in our school day 
the more we are going to get back to or to the, the new norm or whatever that will be. And, and, and also, as you say, um, in terms of looking outwards, um, using your, your network of other practitioners, because, you know, say what those scenarios are, is, is work that you could be sharing with other people and getting other people's input in as well. Yeah, and, and I think just, just to give an example of that, on our network group, the, the daily um, logins and hits has, has gone up 400%. Um, and that just shows how much networking and people thinking, I can't be the only person in this situation. Somebody else must be going through similar to me. And, and sort of sharing those things, it's not, just, it's not just about trying to find the answer. Sometimes it's just sharing the stress because, you know, there might not be the answer out there. But, but the more we actually understand it's not just us it's affecting, it's affecting virtually everybody in every other school, the more that, that we can then sort of, I won't say relax a little bit, but feel a little bit better that it's not us that's failing in this situation. Um, you know, I think, I think that there are going to be templates going forward that we can all share. You know, we are going to get the economies of, of scale by working together in, in this, and I don't mean financially i mean actually in in gaining the best ideas and the best way forward but again not everything's going to work the same in every environment so you know the more we can share the wider we can share then then the more we can get back to some some sense of normality exactly so and, and kaylee uh, looking looking ahead to to september obviously key's been very busy what 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 kind of things are, are, are we thinking about for september um, so we're we're thinking we're thinking a lot about um, this this scenario this blended learning scenario kind of rotas and combined with with homeschooling or remote learning I guess and and helping school leaders figure out how that might work. Um, uh, believe me, if we could build your rota for you, I would happily do it. Unfortunately, we yeah. can't. We can. But but hopefully what we'll be able to do is kind of help you think through those those critical questions that will help you arrive at those things, um, those things yourself. And yeah, thinking about what, um, what that curriculum will look like, what that staffing structure might look like, the kind of health and safety steps that you need to take. Um, all of all of those sorts of things, helping you think, yeah, think through the planning. So if if we need kids to be able to get to school, for instance, but you know, kind of picking up on Russell's point, if we need them to get to school, but seventy percent of them use public transport to get there, what do we need to do to make sure that those pupils are safe? Um, what resources do we have at our disposal? Who can we talk to? How can we work with our local authority or other schools, et cetera, to to do that? So hopefully, we'll have the resources. Um, for you to you know to help support those efforts but i mean as i as i mentioned at the the top you know um the profession the, the teaching profession school business managers and everybody working in in schools have have met these challenges in an incredible way um over the over the last few months and and as as we all said at the at the beginning actually reopening has been a more positive experience than some people might might have imagined. Um, so I guess it is it is a lot about the answers are there, but it is it is difficult difficult work ahead, and hopefully a rest is on is on the cards. Anyone got anything they'd like to say to our audience in closing? Um, 
Caroline, if I just may, um, we were uh, very pleased to receive a communication, a copy of a communication from Baroness Berich uh, today. She wrote uh, personally to school business leaders across the country, um, thanking them for their contribution to uh, the, the national effort during COVID-19. And uh, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's overdue uh, from the department, but uh, you know, Baroness Berich has been a real advocate for the work that the, 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 the school business leadership community have done and continue to do. Um, and it's lovely to have that, that, that level of acknowledgement from you know, a senior member of the, uh, of the ministerial, the education ministerial team. So uh, I just wanted to, to, to flag that um, uh, and, and, uh, and, and echo the, the sentiments within that letter that you know, school business leaders have worked tirelessly over the last 12 weeks and uh, um, it's well-deserved um, recognition. Absolutely, agree. I, I think I, I'd just like to sort of remind everybody that it's not a single effort, it's a team effort. Um, no matter how large or small your school is, the, the onus doesn't lie on one person's shoulders to, to make this successful at the end. So do, do not think you'll do this, do whatever your plans are in isolation. You need to make sure that the, the, the workload is shared the decisions are shared. You, you might want to have that uh, that, that um, devil's advocate as well going through things with you. Um, and time like that will really help you both emotionally, uh, both, both with your mental health, but physically as well. You know, we need to make sure we're sharing this workload and sharing the leadership decisions here mm. i don't you know these, these are unprecedented times and i don't think you know it necessarily lands in in one job description to actually move things forward you know we might be working very much outside of our comfort zone and and not within our normal uh, area of expertise but but Boy, you know, I, I, I think it's fantastic that the, that the school business fraternity or the school business leaders uh, fraternity have stepped up to the plate. But we're not the only ones in this. You know, we need a good combined uh, way forward. And, and it will be to the benefit of all schools if we have that really joined up way forward and then we can get back to uh, working as, as we want to in the, or what we work to in the future exactly I think, uh, yeah i think i would i would just say at the at the risk of stop sounding potentially a bit patronizing um i i think that the message to take away for school business leaders and and, and head teachers and any school staff really is that um you know they should have confidence in the decisions that they're making yeah. um, and, and the planning that they're doing because if we have learned one thing over the past three months it's that school leaders naturally think about um, the implications of what's going on now way more deeply than anyone in the Department of Education or number 10 is doing um, you know you know your schools incredibly well the sector incredibly well your pupils yeah. incredibly well and so you know take take confidence um, in, in the decisions that you're that you're making and the um, and the sort of the autonomy that you have to, to do what you think is best for your school. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I think we 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 all agree on that. 
and uh, a great positive note to end on. Well, thank you so much uh, to Stephen, Russell and Kaylee. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions. <laughs>